0: pleased to bring you our feature presentation.
1: Hello, everybody, and welcome to a very special episode of No Flicks Given. As you can probably tell from the new intro and the title, this is going to be something a bit uh, afield from what we've been normally putting out. Uh, One of the things that the guys and I discussed when we were talking about Combining Forces as a podcast was to be able to branch out and provide a little bit of variety in the kind of discussion and content that we wanted to, to throw on this feed. Uh, so it's my turn to do something like that, and as uh, none of you will be surprised to hear, it is related to Star Trek. Um, good friend of the show and former guest of Give It Five. Mike, uh, my cousin, has joined me to discuss uh, one of the newer series to come out of Paramount for Star Trek, which is Strange New Worlds. And um, we sat down, had a very casual conversation about how we got into Star Trek, what we feel about the show, and and what we feel about what the Star Trek as a whole is supposed to 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 say, ...about us and and for us as a a culture and a a species. If Star Trek isn't really your bag, um, you can feel free to skip this one, although I encourage you to give it a listen... ...and just hear two very passionate people talk about a a subject that has, in no small way, molded their lives and worldview. And if uh, after that discussion you're intrigued feel free to to hit me up, reach out to us and about any questions you might have about Star Trek or any of the dearth of information that you might be able to find on the internet so uh, without further delay I bring to you uh, our discussion on Star Trek Strange New Worlds
0: Space The Final Frontier
2: I, I was overjoyed. I cannot thank you enough for uh, recommending that I. I've been. I haven't been watching enough stuff lately, and I'm so glad you said you got to check out Strange New Worlds because I am delighted by it, and um, I love every single member of that crew. <laughs> uh, I would ship out with them into peril
1: mm-hmm.
2: any old time. They're absolutely fantastic. Yes. So today we're gonna do we're gonna do the whole season in one show, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, I figured, and we'll probably have to do a little bit of like, how did we come to Star Trek? <laughs> oh, <laughs> Because God, uh, we've never is... really talked about Star Trek on, like I've referenced it, but we've never actually like talked about it.
2: I was about to say that's fascinating. And then I realized terrible cliche. So I, yeah, I apologize well, for that. But uh, um, that's, <laughs> yeah, I I would love to, because I, I do have strange childhood half memories about how it, first kind of came into my life but we've never talked about that with you like how yeah because I just I and you'd think I would know having you know you would have been there yeah I would have been there for it so so yeah you go first what how did you begin
1: I mean I have no first memory of Star Trek any more than I think I have first memory of Star Wars it was just always there yeah I think like I was trying to think about it's like when did I enter the the river that is ever flowing the pantheon of the Star Trek canon. I feel like before I was cognizant, somebody just picked me up and just dipped me in completely and then was just like, okay, now you're, you're part of it. I have vague memories of, you know, like I remember getting the tape for Wrath of Khan for a birthday early on. Um, But we had had like the, by that point in time, I think we had had like the odd-numbered films that my dad had kept in those the special collectors edition tapes, and like you know, it, uh, Next Gen was always on Pix 11 in the New York area, so like yeah. it was just there.
2: Was Next Gen first for you? Do you think? Or on so. You're saying is the first thing? I think
1: honestly, I think motion picture might have like the oh. motion picture uh, *Search for Spock*. I feel like there might have been one other that was maybe. By that point in time, we had the the TV taped undiscovered country. Okay. Um, so it was like as with everything in the Joseph Conrad uh, <laughs> library, it's like all random bits and smatterings of of a longer
2: story. It's the but, best way to do it, I think.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, but so I, I to me, it was always the movie crew was what I remembered first. I think. Yeah. yeah. And I don't think I saw. I mean, I, Next Gen was always on in the background, but I don't remember seeing a lot of the earlier episodes until I was older, until it was yeah. like on reruns and they did like one episode a night for months and months and months.
2: Yeah. Well, I want to ask you too about what your, what like the emotional temperature of it was. Because when I think back, it's funny because I think I have, again, memory is unreliable, but I feel like I have extremely, almost eerily concrete memories of first exposures to Star Trek like three or four of them okay and the general feeling each time each first contact was basically terror and dread. (laughs) the way a lot of kids I think describe Doctor Who which I've never been a doctor like I should be a Whovian uh, cause it's wonderful, but for some reason it wasn't my thing, but I just, I remember hearing a lot of kids first exposure to Dr. Who is like hiding behind the couch from, from Daleks and stuff like that. So what the, was your sense of it when the, you were a the, kid?
1: There was definitely terror with regard to the, the, the SETI Alpha five worms oh, sure. in Wrath of Khan. I remember not being able to be like present in the room when that scene occurred as a young yeah. child.
2: Oh, you, cause you got it, was, it right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, but I my earliest, like, really distinct memory was watching the motion picture all of the, the beauty shots of the Enterprise. Mm-hmm. And then just immediately going back and rewinding it and watching it over and over and over again. Just that sequence.
2: Yeah, I thought about watching Strange New Worlds too, because they, they do it again. And I thought <laughs> it's it's very it's very fast, but it's still it's still a statement. And I, I just thought I've heard so many people make fun of the grand tour of the enterprise in star trek the motion picture but we've been doing it every time now for <laughs> yes. almost 45 years. There's a there is a power in in that. So I'm glad it's your first kind of, you know, uh memory of it.
1: Yeah, the, the, I rem- I mean that's that and then I remember my dad built like an AMT model of the Enterprise A with like the lights and everything. Yeah. That I think I had to, I mean, because Nikki was a kid, my brother, <laughs> and I think at some point over the course of the year or two that we had it, you know, playing around with it, it broke a couple times. And after like the second or third time, my dad was like, I think I'm done with trying to repair this thing that really should just be kept like somewhere else on display.
2: <laughs> and did you kind of, was Nikki along for the ride? Did you kind of drag him into it? Because I remember he had some enthusiasm for it, but not quite the phaser, uh, sharp, uh, intensity of, yes. of, of of your love for Star Trek as a kid. Yeah, I might be he, misremembering that too. No, he, I don't know.
1: He, I mean, I, I, I think Nikki has other greater loves, but <laughs> I think, <laughs> but he was still very much our, like Nikki and I would watch, like Star Trek used to be on reruns on like Spike and TNN and stuff. And like the, and Voyager was live and airing late nineties, early Audis on UPN. Yeah and that was the one night we were allowed to stay up late because it was Wednesday nights at 9 and bedtime yeah. was normally 9 but we were allowed to stay <laughs> up until 10 if it was an episode of voyager so after the terror though obviously it became something of an obsession
2: it's weird yeah i mean a, a, an obsession not it's almost it's not so much an obsession it's not intrusive it just feels like in some ways i calibrated off of star trek and a yeah. lot of its priorities kind of became my priorities, you know, as far as, as far as, I mean, obviously there, there there are some missteps, especially in early Trek, but, but just the, the general thrust of it, of, uh, interest in science, interest in exploration, uh, interest in amity, you know, uh, it's all, it's all kind of gotten in there. Interest in uh, certain shapes of collar on a, on a shirt. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like it's just deep in the, A Very calibrating kind of influence in my life. Um, It just occurred to me, too, the fear part is important because that's another calibrating influence that a lot of Star Trek is about how to deal with fear and not reacting in confrontational ways when when you're scared by something, when something's different from you. And so it's so cool that now, like, I, I thought it was just a misapprehension on my part that I'm, you know, like, I think my, the first episode I remember seeing was the lights of Zatar and the first thing that stuck in my head was that thing, like, you know, this crew member turning colors and making that horrific noise. I've never seen anything like that before. Negative. But that's, it's like important to have that first. I don't want to sound like Bruno Bettelheim, you know, and, and his advice that kids should have terrifying uh, fairy tales in their in their lives but but maybe that fear thing wasn't wasn't so dumb as an initial response
1: yeah i mean well it's it's and however many episodes of star trek are mysteries of like oh it's not evil we just don't quite understand how it Exa- works yeah and like, that's the it's like take a second yeah and let's see what's going
2: on yes how do we yeah that's that's one of the big kind of calibrating things
1: the new the the Trek of the... So we went through... There's been like three major phases of Star Trek. So there's there's the original Gene and Gene stuff <laughs> with DC yeah. Fontana and all that. And that yeah. goes until the motion picture. And yeah. then the movie period with Harve Bennett and Nick Meyer, that's kind of its own thing. But then you have the Berman era, which is the 90s up until yeah. the end of Enterprise. And now we've got essentially... Kurtzman because he was the one who was attached to the original 09 reboot soft reboot movie yeah and star trek went back onto tv in what 2017 something like that and i've watched all of it and uh, i've been waiting for like the show that hits me (laughs) to happen yeah yeah and like years and years ago i was like you know what they should do if they were going to do a star trek show is just like do Captain Pike because it's if you ha, you can go to the original series and you can not have to redo Kirk
2: yeah um, although put a pin in that yeah yeah put, put a pip in that I suppose yes if it's Star Trek yeah
1: so then finally they 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 picked up on what I was putting out telepathically <laughs> Um and I was I had some good feelings because I liked Anson Mount from when he showed up on Discovery and I was uh-huh. like all right maybe this could work. And, and everybody seemed to be really excited. They said they were going to do episodic stuff. And then I started watching it and I was like, I I think I might really like this show. (laughs) Yeah. I, yes, the same. And then at some point you had brought up, I think it was still photos from one of the later episodes of like, is this what it looks like? I was like, yeah, I've been watching it and I think I do actually kind of like it. Maybe you should check it out.
2: (laughs) Yeah. 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 No. And I, again, I'm, I, Thank you so much for for doing that. And yeah, it was it was a still. I think it was a Twitter account called the Spaceshipper, and it was a picture of Anson Mount in the captain's chair with red halo light, and yeah. then this very diffuse, um, you know, kind of front light. And I was the like, highlight that's, that's thing. The, yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, the selective keys. They use those two. Like like it. It was a complete. It, it was just a love letter to original series photography. But but reinvented in this in this completely inspired, completely fresh way, and that that was my first that was my um, you know the the double doors swished open. Oh yeah! And I started watching Strange New Worlds. Well, to um, to uh, make reference to um, uh, uh, an earlier show of yours, yeah. what was your give it five moment in Strange New Worlds when you when you thought you might like it around here?
1: The moment it was one of my favorite moments of the original Cage pilot is. Hmm the scene between Pike and, and Dr. Boyce, I think was the doctor yeah. at that point. Yep. And it's just two people talking about their troubles, but like that, the, the Dr. Bartender type uh, yeah. discussion. Uh-huh. And when Pike has a similar kind of interlude with Spock, like as they're on their way to wherever the emergency is.
0: Most humans, we like to think that right until the very last instant, somehow, some way, We'll cheat death. At least I did. Is it soon? Only you could ask that question. No. It's almost a decade away. Is that soon?
1: Suddenly that feels soon. It's just like Anson Mount's pathos about yeah. knowing his fate. What was your initial response? Like when you started to put it, I-, I think the only thing I showed you was like the intro of the series. of With like yeah. the you know, which is, it's the first show in t- how long now that has done space, the final frontier. Cause I feel it's like, been,
2: yeah, it's been a while.
1: Yeah. So it's I sent it. you that, but that was the only real primer besides like, I think it's good.
2: <laughs> I, I think it had seeped in like the, the design of it and the spirit of it just through stuff like the stills that I had, you know, I referenced, you know, the, the yeah. picture of that amazing lighting, but, but yeah, I, I I was watching it feeling that it was this very beautiful, wildly entertaining, uh, fun thing. And I think the, f- uh, the first thing that really struck me, and I didn't realize it had struck me, was when I saw that they were using real January 6th footage in the scene in the pilot mm-hmm. um, as, a, as a warning to this other planet. Yeah, not to follow in our footsteps. And I thought at the time I was like, oh, what a bold and exciting choice in this entertaining space opera that I'm watching. <laughs> and I did not realize how much it had affected me until I was describing it to someone on the phone later. And Matthew, I began to weep on the telephone describing that scene. And I realized the reason was I had personally given up on Star Trek future. Yeah. or really like any future because of things that include January 6th. And the show was saying, no, that's part of the story. And despite awful things, we are still on the way. And I think that's what Star Trek's been trying to do since the start. The human adventure is just beginning. Taking taking all the you know screw-ups in the present moment and showing us how we might find a better way someday. And, th- and this show goes an additional step, which sometimes earlier Star Trek's, I think, did, which is, we'll still be getting some things dreadfully wrong in the 23rd <laughs> century. Yeah. So sometimes, and I'm, I'm curious about your thoughts about some of that stuff, too, because every once in a while I have the, you know, it's like, well, I don't like this in my Star Trek. Yeah. But I think it, like, on reflection, it's like, first of all, how dare I? And second, maybe it's actually good that it's in there. So there, there are several, as we discuss this, I think, I think a few of those will come up. If you want to get to them now, I can, I can kind of riffle through my notes here.
1: Yeah. I, there, I guess the line that I have is like, and it's probably not his fault, but it's, it's the same way that I like, Oh, this is a Brandon Braga episode, isn't it? It's this, there are moments in each episode. I feel like that are, Oh, this is Kurtzman, isn't it? And I, you know, I'm not ascribing that directly to him, but like, (laughs) yeah, he tends to the grim, Like, I'm trying. Like, the, the, I mean, and it it becomes fairly prevalent with a lot of the Gorn things that show up later on. Yes,
2: Gorn put uh, yet another pip in Gorn.
1: <laughs> um, I think most of the first episode, I think, threaded that needle pretty well. The yeah. one point that I was like, okay, we can we can ease off the accelerator a bit is when um, <laughs> Laan has her monologue about again, Gorn birthing sacks and just, I was like, we didn't, that's, that's cool. But now it's, we got the point that's you, you said it more succinctly and more concise with the not thinking you're going to get killed is what you're not thinking you're going to die is what gets you killed. Like that is great.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, it, it's the, we don't have to go into the wallowing portion of like just really getting into the, the, the grief of it all.
2: Yeah. Um, Well, the show very frequently stops so that a character can explain a past horrible thing that like every for a while, it seemed like every episode had a brief monologue about that. But I wonder if that's a thing that audiences are demanding from a lot of TV shows. Is that happening a lot? It's an easy
1: way to manufacture sympathy for a character. Mm-hmm. But I, th- and, and this is something that's been discussed online with regards to like, is everybody in, in strange new worlds, like an orphan or had some, whatever terrible thing happened to them. But then I yeah. start to think about like, well, thinking about everybody else's past in like the original series wasn't necessarily hunky-dory great either because like <laughs> kirk has this terrible backstory where like he lived on a colony where there was like a mini holocaust and mm-hmm. like and then like in next gen it's like beverly crusher's husband died in some terrible accident and you know wesley's got to deal with that Worf's parents were killed in a massacre riker's mother died when she was young and his father wasn't great i i guess it's still part of Star Trek to have characters that are like that. Um, That's
2: you bring up an excellent point as always, which is that almost every time in the show, I wanted to raise my hand and say objection. There's, <laughs> there's some precedent for it. And uh, yeah, I can now think of uh, Tasha Yar and the gangs that were chasing oh, no. her and how yeah. we actually got a flashback in an image of, we did. of that too. Yeah. So it's happened before.
1: Do you know how old I was when I was abandoned? Five, five years old. But I survived. I learned how to stay alive, how to avoid the rape gangs. I was 15 before I escaped.
2: Yeah. but So, so to that point, and to, to the Gorn, mm-hmm. poor Gorn, um, I thought when I saw that episode, the penultimate yeah. one of the season, like, you can't just do Alien, can you? And then I realized, I mean, there's even, I mean, Alien slash Aliens, there's even a Newt. In fact, there's two yeah. Newts. Because there's another Gorn survivor named Fig who first tips us off that the Gorn are around by making the least scary noise in the world. (laughs) It's the captain. Either the Gorn or a flamenco dancer is on the loose. Um, But I found in the original TOS pitch by Gene Roddenberry, the very last paragraph in that is an episode idea for something called Infection which has an alien implanting a larva in a crew member's body, quote, like some insects plant their eggs in other living insects, unquote. And this is 16 years before Alien. Yeah. But then it's kind of upsetting because the point of the TOS Gorn episode, Arena, seemed to be like, congratulations, human, on not killing the scary monster. You're both from civilizations. You can understand each other. But now there are these parasites that spit a combination of venom and something we can't mention on a family podcast. And they have... Yeah. (laughs) So I... What what do you, what do you make of all that?
1: That's the thing I struggle with is like, they, it, they could have made them a brand new species that has no other relationship to any other Star Trek species. Yeah. And, and I, it would have worked a little bit better for me because again, in my head, I'm like, after all of these terrible things that we are witnessing and hearing about in this show, Kirk's going to hug one. Like it's a middle yeah, school dance. Exa- yes,
2: yes, exactly. Exactly. Right. <laughs> And you could see them do it like it, you, you have the sense they want to do a, a TOS tinged Borg or Species 8472 and Gorn is probably the closest thing you can get to it. But it's like yeah. you bend Star Trek too much to make them the Xenomorph, basically.
1: Yeah. And I, I, um, Steve Shives, a YouTuber, talks about this because he, he he's one of the guys that, that has who does not care about canon or continuity whatsoever. And so he's just like, yeah, when I watch arena, I just f- watch it in the lens that in this, for the purposes of this story, nobody's ever seen a Gorn before and you can make peace with them. While when I watch episodes of strange new worlds, they're xenomorphs. Yeah. And I, I understand that. And I understand that I shouldn't care. <laughs> it's just, I think it, it's just, it's one of those, you know, I don't understand why, why, we had to use that. Like if you were going to do something this fresh and different, why give it the baggage of an existing
2: yeah thing? Sure. And then I guess the, the additional thing on top of that, that should, is that a Star Trekky thing to do? Which apparently is because it's in, it's from the very beginning, a kind of story idea that, yeah. that Roddenberry wanted to do. So I, I don't
1: I, know. I also just finished reading the novelization of The Motion Picture, and there's a lot of things in that book that that is a little weird. Kirk knew that the compelling attraction which Deltons exercised on anyone of the opposite sex went further than mere physical appearance. It was literally chemistry. And an unsuspecting human was likely to find himself in considerable sexual excitement without understanding why. Kirk concentrated on handling it with suitable formality. He could feel the pheromones working on him, and he decided not to rise. He was, after all, the ship's
2: captain. You, uh, this is a good thing to bear in mind going forward. That there's no you can't you can't just invest any one member of the team with uh, total authority. I guess.
1: Yes, and and it's I, it, you know, I understand because there I've, I've read the online debates and seen all the videos of people who who do defend all the things that I find kind of like eh, in yeah. this new era of Star Trek is like, yeah, but look at what Jean did or look at what whatever did. And I was like, I, I get it. But like, it's also not 1978 anymore. Like it's True. also like we should know to learn from some of those hiccups and yeah. maybe switch things around because ultimately I'm very curious to see if the ultimate intention of the writers for this show are to make the Gorn something that is worthy of 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 making peace with like because they're starting off on a very low yeah (laughs) point and from my perspective they i they've they've earned enough trust from me at this point that it's within the realm of possibility that i could believe that they would try to stick this landing yeah yeah um because because but but yeah, as it stands right now, I'm like, oh man. When the Gorns show up, I'm like, uh, okay. I just pretend that they're not the you know the the you know the one that I remember from Arena.
2: <laughs> sure, it's um, so interesting too because whereas the sh- the content of the show I feel has kind of seeped in to my awareness from things like social media, the conversation about it has not at all. So I'm so curious as I kind of go down you know uh, my laundry list of stuff here if it's stuff that people are actually talking about.
1: It's so I mean generally speaking, there's been. In much the way that the Star Wars fandom has been kind of factionalized, Hmm. Trek has, Trek's always been like this because, and whenever the new show comes out, there's everybody who says it that stinks. Yeah. Um, There's the same thing when Discovery came out, when Picard and all the other shows have been coming out of just like people who are looking for the old school, or not, well, now old school Berman era, like everything's evenly lit it's episodic, whatever. And then there's the people who are looking for more, more serialized, dramatized, uh, stuff. And so like strange new worlds has been this weird meeting ground for a lot of people because like, it seems to have enough of the old stuff that that group of fans enjoys it. And then there's a decent amount of like the other, the new serialized or melodrama stuff that that, Group is also in on it so strange new worlds yeah. has been this one touchstone for most of the fandom to be like yeah no i like it
2: <laughs> yeah i i now with some embarrassment realize which camp i fit into because of the uh total joy i experienced upon seeing captain pike's chartreuse Valentine oh dancer style wraparound tunic that, that right? william shatner used to wear I, I lost my mind so yeah now i know now i know
1: all of the, of the costumes the
2: work. old guys yeah it's well this is the other thing that's so interesting i love those costumes my initial impression was this is not and maybe it's just cuz i was a naive kid watching this stuff uh yeah. I'm now a naive adult watching this stuff but like it does it didn't feel like they were functional uniforms for people they felt like beautiful impressionistic uh like heightened versions. And I wonder yeah. if that's just cause it's now 2022 or if, if that's kind of what they're going for.
1: I feel like as good as an episode as it was trials and tribulations <laughs> kind of broke how I see. everybody sees the original yes. series. Yep. Because I think up until that point, even like Roddenberry and that crew, they're like, this is a, Stage play retelling of the stories of the USS Enterprise. Yeah, and when like the movie came out, they were like, "Yeah, no, this is the way that we always wanted the ship to look." Yeah, but then Forrest Gump comes out, and they decide to (laughs) do. I pictured him coming out
2: in Star Trek. (laughs) Whoa, I missed. I missed. When did Forrest? He's a time traveler. He's not just uh, uh, getting around through history. Sorry, I'm sorry. So Forrest Gump kind of like recalibrates people's. For uh, for the
1: inserting digital characters and then for the the at yeah. that point it was what the thirtieth anniversary. Sure. Um they send the Deep Space Nine crew literally back to the nineteen sixties sets. Yes. Yeah. And so from that point all the all the continuity people have been trying to like wrestle around how that works. Yeah. yeah and yeah. why any of that makes sense. Yes. And I feel like this has been a good kind of visual not reset, but just like yeah, it's close enough to like everything has the same vibe of what. Yes. Like the bridge is updated so that it looks like a more modern bridge because it's not 1966 and it doesn't have to be the exact, you know, plywood looking set in yeah. order for it to be true to the history of this story. And it, but
2: yeah. yeah, I see you've cracked it. That's exactly what it is. It's it's like a little bit of a wink. It feels it feels Modernized, but also like we're, you know, this is a little stylized. We're not quite yeah. asking you to believe this is a literal thing.
1: Yeah. And I think, because if, if you look at the, the memory alpha article on this era of uniforms, they've now divided it into like three or four class God. uniforms these of like people. some of them wore these velour uniforms and oh other people God. wore these ones with the Delta patterns and the whatever. And then there was a the, third kind that the paperwork, Yes. It's, it's the exhaustive like article on how all of this worked. And it's like, it's, we, it's, 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 it's fine. It's, we understand how theater works. Yeah.
2: And that's the thing, like uh, that leads to one of my favorite, if not my favorite visual thing in the whole series, which is in the Gorn slash alien slash aliens episode. Yeah. The, the wreck of the Peregrine. Yeah. Looks like. One of the James Blish novel covers <laughs> by, I think they're painted by an artist named Lou Feck. And yeah. it wasn't quite, like, it was a, so stylized, but it just felt like this additional world that we couldn't see, you know, given the technologies they were making the show with at the time. Yeah. So it's just, it's a classic, beautiful image.
1: Yeah, and they are they're making use of whatever Paramount's version of the volume is. Yes, yep. So it's it I th- I mean this it's been my favorite thing since Mandalorian came out of like I begrudgingly admitting that George Lucas was right he was just very ahead of his time. I may have gone too far in a few places.
2: Well, I that's the thing like I I I'm a beneficiary of that too. You're a beneficiary of it because we I I really don't think anybody would have taken digital video cinema seriously without it being championed by, by those movies. And, yeah. and now volumes and things, yeah. the volu- I feel like the volume is an anti-democratizing thing, though, because I, I can afford a Vive sensor on a camera. I can afford Unreal Engine because it is free. I yeah. cannot afford a 10-story tall uh, LED television set. Because no. every, every other component of it you can do but yeah, it's just having a, an actual video wall, the it f- lawn and una on the primary hull oh on my the saucer. God. Like it's just, it's, and it's, it's such a
1: smart, like the, I, for all of the banging on having to like focus on characters, giving monologues, it's such a perfect moment because it's s- silent. You're watching it happen. And instead of anybody actually saying the words out loud and they just watch <laughs> it go. And I was like, that's yes. Yes. Yeah. Writing one oh one like,
2: yes, yeah. <laughs> To, to tell them that, all the characters to shut up it's so funny though I, I i dream of the video wall matt and <laughs> it's, i i live pretty close to their to the disney manhattan beach studios where they yeah. where they shoot that stuff and i i only state this uh for the podcast record because it's like a minute if i've got the address right yeah or not the address like the neighborhood right um, cause I, it's still very secretive. I don't really quite know where it is. I think I know yeah. kind of, I'm sounding, I, I'm basically just, you can tell I'm a production facility stalker at this point. Yeah. I apologize. Um, but it's, it's so close to the location original series used for the den of a colony where Sam Kirk mm-hmm. passes away Yeah, and, um, uh, you know, what a town it's, it's amazing yeah. to think that, that, uh, a half century ago. Um, you know, poor Sam Kirk is, uh, <laughs> is getting attacked by, um, evil omelets. What, what do you, what do you make of Sam Kirk? I, I love that fake out where we hear about Lieutenant Kirk, expect yeah. Jim and get Sam. Yeah. And, um, I love that his mustache, which famously William Shatner wore when essaying the role in the original yep. series himself. But it reminds me so much of Sam Rockwell's guy from Galaxy Quest <laughs> that I thought I couldn't love the character more. But when that occurred to me, uh, uh, the love increased. I'm
1: not even supposed to be here. I'm just crewman number six. I'm expendable. I'm the guy in the episode who dies to prove the situation is serious. I gotta get out.
2: Of here. It's it's terrible for his legacy because I don't think we actually see him getting killed by the evil omelet creature. In the original series. No, he's already, yeah. But now we know he was probably doing something really dumb. Yeah. No, and, and yeah. somebody,
1: um, at, at some point somebody goes, I wonder if like at the end of the show when they decide to send Sam Kirk off, he just, he's like, I'm sorry, you know, I, I, Chris, I, I have to leave. It's just too dangerous here. I'm going to go settle down on a colony where things are quieter and I can be safe and raise my family. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my, <laughs> my
2: God. <laughs> It's so fun. that that location too, as as one final note on what a crazy town it is here. In addition to it being the den of a colony, it's called Space Park. It's also where the company TRW used to be, and they built what is arguably humanity's first interstellar starship, which is Pioneer Ten. Oh wow! Uh, so they were in a real, you know, like it, it's an actual historic location about about spacefaring. But they also I think built like ICBMs. So we're back to the. I mean, that's the space. Yeah. <laughs> It's always, there's always a kind of a catch. It's always, it's always uh, Anson Mount speech uh, in that, even, in that hall. Yeah.
1: Even in the canon of, of Star Trek, the, the first warp vessel was built out of an ICBM.
2: Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. I've, yeah, that's right. I was so curious watching this season too, because I, I remembered your, one of your sources of affection for Star Trek is what you've described as competency porn. Yes. <laughs> and like, I, I, I think you're in the majority with that. I, my favorite characters tend to be people like Arthur Dent in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy yeah. who are just utterly out of their depth because that's kind of how I feel going through life. Yeah. Um, in the original series of Star Trek, we one kind of forgets how often Kirk admits total insecurity and indecisiveness. We just kind of remember as bravado. The J.J. Abrams movies, it's... It seems to be about imposter syndrome a lot, and people getting pr- like instantly promoted from like kindergarten to grad school yeah, um and this show, the strange world seems like it is constantly saying like you're in Starfleet, you're the finest person alive <laughs> as like the start, which yeah. I guess can enhance you know like if if the the perils they're facing. Are still perilous to people like that. They must be pretty perilous. Where? Yeah. How did that? How did you react to everyone knowing a great many languages and being the great, the top of their class and all that sort of stuff?
1: That I'm pretty familiar with because Next Gen establishes that pretty early on. That like Starfleet Academy is this like, you need to be the best of the best just to get into the place.
2: Yeah, we see them taking their SATs basically in one of the episodes.
1: Yeah, so like it's going back. Yeah. (laughs) It it, it, going back to that. Yes. I, part of, part of the things that I didn't like about that even when I was a kid growing up was like feeling that I would never measure up to making it to Starfleet Academy.
2: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. That's one of the Star Trek messages that I, I kind of calibrated on that it's not super people who are doing this. It's very fallible, ordinary people. And I see how next generation starts to erode that. So you were taking that on board and going like, I don't know if I'm going to. Yeah. Like
1: that was the very much. I remember that being like, Oh God, this looks impossible.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um,
1: And, and there is speaking of the motion picture novelization, there's Gene writes a lot about like how people in Starfleet are a very, a certain older breed of person and they're always bucking up against the new humans. Yes. And so I feel like that's kind of baked into the mythology in one shape or form as well.
2: It's true. I, I had the immense pleasure of a conversation with Susan Sackett about that who was, you know, she's written a ton of Star Trek books. She's been, she was in on the rec deck in the famous motion picture rec deck scene. She was Jean's assistant for years and years and years. And she said that felt weird to her though, that, there was something, I was like, was Gene like secretly really kind of like stiff about that stuff? Like it just didn't feel like it was coming from him. And she yes. was like, yeah, I don't think, I don't think that's was really his, his whole idea. But yeah. I say this you so you can rest easy. You will get into Starfleet Academy, Matt. It's going to be okay. Yeah.
1: And I think that it's, it's good. I think this series at least has enough of a balance of like, yes, uhura speaks dozens of languages but she's also like feels very out of her depth in a lot of situations isn't isn't sure if she feels like she's going to measure up to the situation that she's in yeah Um, absolutely which i actually i really like that second episode because of what that does for her character yeah um so i think i think it at least it it struck enough of a decent balance and like we're back to captains who drink alcohol again
2: (laughs) it's zori and brandy in fact yeah. But not out of not out of the original uh no. Tennessee Whiskey horn yeah. from the 60s but maybe Which is
1: surprisingly affordable if you look them up on eBay. I was thinking <laughs> about true. using it as a decanter they, at some point.
2: They made a lot of those. That was that was uh I think more popular than you'd think. <laughs> which is But um given that response to kind of competency in this new show. Yeah. How do you feel about um the Una superhero reveal hashtag not all augments
1: yeah right Ooh. um <laughs> yeah i i was wondering if they were going to go that route because i think that that's something that is in i think dc fontana wrote something about una's backstory of being this genetically engineered thing
2: yeah years and really years ago. that comes from
1: her i'm i'm pretty sure oh, that's like, awesome okay yeah um, like, cause, and like her, like, that's why her name is Una. She's like the top of her group that was born or whatever. Yeah. Um,
2: is the name Una older than the show? Because that was another thought I had that I felt was a little uncharitable. Cause I was kind of like, Una, the, like, come on. Number one is named Una. This I, seems a little uh, on the nose. I
1: believe it's original to the DC. Let me actually see where. Yes in the novel Vulcan's glory by star Trek original series writer, DC Fontana suggested this oh, character's wow. moniker was not simply a nickname or title. She was an Illyrian. So the Illyrian bit is also from oh that God. book who was called number one as the best intellect among her generation.
2: Oh my God. Well, I've oh, unforgiven myself because if it comes from her, you've it's, restored my it's father's fine father. by me. <laughs> exactly. Right. Um, I'll take it. Yeah,
1: here we are. Here a quote from Vulcan's glory. Um, some officers had a difficult time dealing with the fact that she is a genetically perfect being. On her planet Illyria, excellence is the only criterion that is accepted. She is technically yeah. designated as being the best of her breed for the year that she was born. I see. She therefore would receive the appellation number one, even if she were not the executive officer. Wow. DC Fontana.
2: I got wonderful Tarangalila vibes from Rebecca Romaine's performance of Una yeah too. Did you, did you detect that too? She just like,
1: There's this, I, I like there's this contained. Like she, she, yep. she is weird. She knows she is weird and she's keeping <laughs> it inside, but she lets it out every once in a while. And I yeah, appreciate yeah, that. Yeah. Like, I mean the, the, in the Spock and muck episode, like we're there, her and Laan are just running through enterprise bingo. I, I thoroughly enjoy all of that. Like it doesn't seem out of character for me. I feel like, yeah, they're just letting loose. We just had a really serious episode. They're just kind of, this is their version of relaxing. I don't know how much they're going to go into it. The other thing too is, is, and I've, I've heard these complaints too, is that, um, Rebecca remain isn't in the show nearly as much as you would think for someone who's the first officer. And I don't know whether that's just scheduling stuff or what, so I think I, I'm I'm curious to see how they play that fight in the second season. Like yeah, I'm like, I'm waiting for my courtroom episode. Like that's yeah. one of the ones they haven't checked off the list yet.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no, it's true. It's what there, it does feel kind of like the you know is Locutus going to stay Locutus moment.
1: Yeah, and I was okay with that being like the one one of the serialized bits that we're going to pick up with next season. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. did you respond to it differently with like the genetically engineered stuff or?
2: Well, I had thought again, it, it was, I, I love the fallibility of the characters in Star Trek. And I yeah. worried that having super people in this would <laughs> kind of kill that. And then I realized we've had super people the whole time, notably Spock and Data. And yeah. then I thought they have huge liabilities, you know, they're at war with their emotions or their like Pinocchio trying to be human Data's taken then, over
1: the ship several times.
2: <laughs> exa- yeah, exactly. And then, but Una also has this kind of liability of being a, a secret criminal. And yeah. then it was like, this brings eerie dystopia into star Trek. And I'm not sure I like the idea, you know, that they're that yeah. the Federation is still persecuting people based on a group they belong to. But then I, it's interesting to explore that based on what we were saying a little earlier in our conversation and it's definitely less disturbing than when dystopia creeps into Star Trek in this kind of casual way, yeah. like in the original series, when it's like women can't be starship captains, or there's all this weird colonial stuff haggling for dilithium, or having crossed wars with the Klingons. Like yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, so I'm the, where I've it, it, I'm, I am like you excited to see how that develops going going forward.
1: Yeah, they've they've built enough trust with me that I'm willing to 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 see where they go with it. Yeah, because um, I honestly I, I i was I really liked the way they handled the Captain Pike knowing his future thing.
2: Yeah, yeah, um, me too. I, for, yeah, initially I, I thought this is very magical, and I'm not so sure about it. But now I'm I think completely sold. It's a it's a really great way to go about the the arc of the whole thing.
1: Yeah, and 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 getting to do a it's a wonderful life <laughs> episode with with the the road not traveled just all around i think they've done a good job of trying to balance all of the different moving parts that have to be sort of part of a star trek show and doing it in a way that doesn't tip it too far in any one direction like I know deep space nine liked to deconstruct the idea of Starfleet and the Federation, which I wasn't crazy about. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And that gets like
2: super picked up with, with uh, the JJ Abrams movies where there are these sort of shadowy factions inside Starfleet, but I'm sorry, go ahead. Go ahead.
1: No, I I mean, there's always going to be evil admirals and like, you (laughs) know, ambassador politician people who don't know what they're talking about. But the, the idea that like the section 31 crap of like, there's a clandestine, sanctioned part of starfleet that does the dirty work so that like i mean captain picard talks a good game but nothing's really getting done unless we kill some people quietly and ultimately uh, i feel like starfleet and the federation should still be like the thing that we aspire to and not you know just another metaphor for the united states in space
2: yeah yeah that's that's true it's it's like show the way and and shine a light it's it's good to show that people will still be screwing things up in yeah. our in our utopian future, but maybe not quite as I, I keep thinking of George Lucas's handwritten note to himself that the Empire is the United States in about ten years. <laughs> and you can, yeah, you don't want to. Yeah, yeah, maybe you don't want to do that so much, I guess.
1: Yeah, well, because and I think we've had our fair share of like science fiction has been mostly dystopian for the last. Since
2: 9-11, pretty much. I mean, look around, Matt. It's uh, yeah. it's pretty grim out there.
1: Yeah. Um. So I, I like, I've been, that's kind of what I've been craving, is, is something a little bit more positive and forward thinking. Of like, yeah. yes, we have these problems. There should be a group of people who are like, all right, what are we going to do?
2: <laughs> yeah. And again, directly incorporating the problems that are worrying you from day to day now. Yeah. Uh it's it's a way to, to foster some hope.
1: Yeah. And I that's that's been one of the saving graces of this show. And even like for all the crap that Discovery's caught, like the last season actually did I thought did a good job of like metaphor and talking about communication and having like real humanist themes of trying to explore. I still have I you know, doing a ten episode arc about the same thing for me was like mm, pacing wise not crazy about. But Yeah. Um, getting to that point where we we're instead of just continuously navel gazing we're looking a little bit <laughs> up again the
0: whole show was an attempt to say that humanity will reach maturity and wisdom on the day that it begins not just to tolerate but to take a special delight in differences in ideas and differences in life forms if we cannot learn to actually enjoy those small differences, take a positive delight in those small differences between our own kind here on this planet, then we do not deserve to go out into space and meet the diversity that's almost certainly out there.
2: Yes. Yeah. Again, I was not expecting that. I just thought it would be a very shiny flesh Gordon thing. And it absolutely did that in a time when it's hard to create that kind of feeling.
1: Yeah. I think I, I, the first episode set the table for me. The, the, Children of the Comet episode, I really did enjoy because it was kind of light and just very straightforward. Yeah. And then it, it, it was enough like to keep me along and like the themes of communication and stuff like that. Um, and then we got a submarine episode right after that. So I was hook, line and sinker.
2: <laughs> it, the, yeah. The, the, um, the Comet episode felt like that wonderful game that used to have at your house a million years ago.
1: Oh, uh, the, the 25th anniversary That's game. That's it, yeah, the 25th yeah.
2: anniversary game. It, it felt like part of that, and I I Which so I, enjoyed.
1: Yeah. I finally beat after 30 years in the help oh of a very God. large guidebook.
2: Congratulations, I just would sort of, it, I eventually just had to enjoy the vibe of being in those environments, because I was useless yes. at the puzzles.
1: I mean, well, because the problem is that they weren't really puzzles, they were just like, the, the whoever was developing it was like, oh, this'll be cool. And yeah. ultimately, when you're actually playing, it's like, yeah, but... None of this makes sense within the logic of point-and-click <laughs> adventure games. Um, yeah. But like, yes, the, the the Comet episode was very much that. I think what delineates it a little bit from the original series, too, is that one of the things, as I've been going through the TNG Blu-rays, that a positive change that Michael Piller introduced into the storytelling, especially with Next Gen, it was like... This episode's gonna be a wharf episode. This episode's gonna be a crusher episode. And like and being able to focus on characters, have them actually have lives. You get to focus on characters who have serialized arcs. So it's not just they hit the reset button at the beginning of or the end of every episode. Mm. And the stories can be episodic but ultimately like stuff that's happening to them you can reference later or it becomes part of their character and like they can change over the
2: course you kind of get that in the previous leons as well where they they hand it to one or another different member of the crew which i Um, i almost wish they didn't do previous leons because i feel like you don't necessarily need
1: it but i like the fact that like it makes it feel less serialized
2: it's true i wonder if it's for people who are who are jumping in rather than committing to a binge
1: yeah, because it also like sets you up for, especially the sec- the penultimate episode, where it's like, oh, we're seeing a lot of Hammer, and Hammer's talking about like how someone's fulfilled their purpose after they've fixed everything that's broken. <laughs> I don't know if
2: he's making it. <laughs> that's right, I started to feel uh, great concern for Hammer, yeah. <laughs> especially given that he was in the middle of Alien slash aliens. Well, I mean, we're speaking of the penultimate one, the ultimate episode... Yes. I basically jumped for joy, but I don't know if we want to. I don't know if we want to get there. I mean, yet I don't know if you want to go into that now. I have other little topics yeah, and yeah. stuff like that. If you want to get go into them, they're yeah, kind yeah. of like a lightning round. But I'm also happy to, no, to start off with episode we, ten, which we can do the lightning round and mind. then get into the because okay. the
1: finale is its own thing.
2: Okay. Uh, first item, hit it in the I, original pilot. Do you remember what Captain Pike used to say?
1: Does he say engage?
2: He said engage, but now that's taken. Yeah. And so I think this is like a really cool combo of Han Solo's punch it, but yet feels appropriate for the space 1950s, which this is. It's like he's starting a a jazz set. Yes. So yeah. What was your, what was your thought about the first
1: hit it? I, I enjoyed that. I I think it's, it's become a thing of like every captain has to have their go to, (laughs) order thing they do bring up the fact that captains have catchphrases in star trek discovery Ooh, what's an- that's one of those like i don't know if it's being a little too cute or not but i'm fi- it's fine
2: are, are they so they're semi-critical about it i guess it's it's just pointing it out yes
1: but yeah i i i, I am here for pike's command style yeah. like the Th- w- w- at some point someone threw around the term space daddy. And I was like, well, that kind of, yeah, you know he's very, he's no, that
2: vulnerable. That, that... And I guess that's a dad thing too, right? That it's, it's, it's commanding, yeah. but also like, well, I don't know quite what I'm doing. Yeah. yeah.
1: And, 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 but, but like wanting to be nurturing and empathetic yeah. and ultimately like, you know, just being in a position of, of leadership. Yeah. But yeah, I, everything about his, portrayal of the character i enjoy i'm glad that he's not nearly as mopey as he he is in the cage um i enjoy jeffrey hunter as as chris pike but but he does in just those 50 minutes come off as someone who really doesn't enjoy his job and it's like why are we why are we doing a show about a guy who doesn't like the job
2: I never doing. thought about that, You're you're exactly right because Anson Mount is solving that problem. I think Jeff, Jeffrey Hunter yeah. comes off with this very strange, not strange. He does a fantastic job, but it's it's kind of like a stern, fierce mopiness, which I had not yet encountered. Yes. but you're right. Anson Mount figures out how how to inject energy into it despite the fact that he wants he does not want to be there. He's, yeah. In fact, his life seems to depend on him not being there.
1: I mean, that, yeah, that's especially in the early episodes of like that's kind of his he's, he, you know, he knows where he's headed if if things continue as they are. Um, although I, there there have been moments of levity where he like does, you know, the quietly whispering is like, I love this job. <laughs> there There is a part of him that like, honestly, I mean, he wouldn't stick around if it weren't. If there weren't something about it that he really, truly enjoyed. Well,
2: two thoughts on that. The first, thinking about your your concern about the space SATs and making the cut as a Starfleet officer in life. Uh, yeah. He, this show continues the tradition in Star Trek of training exercises being the most dangerous thing of all. Pike melts uh-huh. like candle wax. The Peregrine landing party, which ends up being the movie Alien slash Aliens, is a training excursion with yeah. cadets and then the entire film of the wrath of Khan. So I could see why you were, you were yeah. probably very nervous about, about, um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> qualifying for anything or, you know.
1: Yeah. You want to, you want to get past the midshipman phase. <laughs> That's Otherwise right. was. Yeah. It's get, it's
2: no good. Enlisted, yeah. Get that red shirt back in the drawer. There's, there's
1: a bell curve of like how, how potentially melted your face can get <laughs> and then it, it it curbs that's off. Right. Oh yeah, it is about,
2: that's right. It gets get very become, dangerous towards the end of the career. TV. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, yeah. There's, there's, there's just a lot of radiation exposure in that, that early career <laughs> stuff. Uh,
2: this show know. helped me with my journey of self uh, uh, exploration as well. Uh, partly through Pike's command style in that there's a line in the fourth yeah. episode where he says. That
0: brown dwarf that you mentioned before, it's uh, pretty much a gas giant, right?
2: And I realized that I am a pedant and will always be very pedantic.
1: I I like the fact that he's not the smartest person in the room, <laughs> but he he knows how to harness the intelligence of everybody around him and channel that into successful situations. Yes. Um, and yes, part of that is is blind luck, but that's kind of always Star Trek. Any any type of leadership situation, yeah, it, um, where you're hedging a bet on something, yeah, yeah,
2: and th- that's the thing. You you have this kind of Machia thing in the original Star Trek. This kind of ego, id, and um, super ego, like or or an angel on one yeah. shoulder, a devil on the other, like like where Kirk is, the, yeah, pathos, logos, ego, the, the person, and Spock and McCoy are kind of impulses. I mean I guess you don't have to read it that way but but in this it, it feels more like Pike is a member of the team as opposed to like the person who has these yeah. these conflicting impulses in him. Yeah. Uh speaking of Kirk and his management style mm. and who he is um yes. Paul Wesley I found absolutely thrilling in this role and yeah. it's like this thing from I think just this year Uh, by Daniel Voschart or Voschart, which was Mm. called the Roman Emperor Project, where he took like AI and Photoshop and it was like, this is the actual face of Emperor Tiberius. And Paul Wesley, to me, feels like, you may know William Shatner brilliantly playing Captain Kirk, but this is Captain Kirk. Although, in. Paul Wesley will be happy
1: to hear that. I mean,
2: in one shot, he does look a little like Captain Jim Carrey, but the rest of the time, he is the actual historical face of Captain Kirk. But then, does he sound to you at all like Roy Cohn?
0: And I think that the death sentence imposed by Judge Irving R. Kaufman and the Adam Spy trial had a very strong deterrent effect. I think it's been a very good year on the anti-communist front in this country i'm saying caution means you're not going to put everything you have into the punch and that's a good way to lose because your enemy will see that and act accordingly all this because of a second's delay
2: tell me i'm wrong like we forget that in balance of terror the episode on which this last episode is based kirk was constantly like my god bones decisions make me pass out But in this one, he's like, look, you never, ever threaten unless you're going to follow through, punch the guy first. And he's got, he's so intense about that that he's basically got Pike saying like, I am not soft on Romulans. Like what, like, like (laughs) what, what do you make of him being this incredibly combative guy other than just creating drama in the moment and making the peace case?
1: They like to, they, they talk a lot in the press right now of like this portrayal of Kirk is obviously not the Kirk that we get to know later on because it's a different timeline essentially. Okay. So he's, he's different in some respects. So like maybe that fills in for part of it. I, I took it as like throughout balance of terror, terror Kirk is having these moments, especially with McCoy where he's just like talking about the rigors of command. <laughs> but I think ultimately where his gut comes from in that episode is still aggressive forward. (laughs) So that, that made sense to me. Um, and I think it would make sense to, for him to be able to be that open with someone who's the same rank as he is.
2: Yeah. That makes sense. And uh, yeah. Um, And also in the, in the moment as he goes bruised to ship is far worse than bruised. And you'd think yeah. that he would maybe be overstating the case for smashing, you know, crushing your enemies.
1: Which and it, that's also an interesting discussion because Amy even says when they're having the drink at the end, it's like, did it ever occur to you that like there there are situations where sometimes you have to punch your way out? And I I wonder about yeah. that o- often. I yeah I, um, I
2: again I think I, my favorite Star Trek is still being in. Um, beige pajamas and saying like, "Mm, we probably shouldn't uh, scan them because they may think our scan is a weapon and maybe, you know, like so, so the, and Star Trek constantly, even in its very first, you know, an original series is constant fisticuffs. So you think, so you're, you're buying it a little bit. You feel that in some, in some circumstances,
1: I am, I'm glad that it's brought up as a, a a point of, of, debate because much the same way as it is today, it's like, Hey, we have to be able to talk things out. But then on the other end of it is, is it okay to punch Nazis in the
2: face? <laughs> I, like, I do possible example.
1: Bravo. But, and so that's, is like our, like where, where do we draw yeah. the line of like obvious where, where do you, where is there a line of discourse is no longer functional for yeah. maintaining the greater good? Yeah. And where is that line? Yeah, yeah. it's so
2: interesting, isn't it? That that
1: episode raises that question really well because it it essentially tells Pike it's like you're not the right guy for that job. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, like it's somebody else needs to be in that situation. Otherwise, we're all in for a world of yeah, yeah.
2: That's so interesting. It's funny too that I kind of I feel like I may have edited out that conversation in in my memory. It's like (laughs) it's the last scene of the last episode. They're having a Saurian brandy.
1: It's, It's. before he jumps back to his own time, yeah. uh, monster maroon. Pike I was going to bring that is giving him Yeah. Right. Oh, Oh my God. It's, it's, oh It's man. monster
2: maroon, but it's got the Pirelli tires, like texture yeah. <laughs> on the sides and it has the longest like attachment, to the flat it's
1: a much more dramatized i don't know what yeah the best it's way, the but angular it's, it looks like the concept art yes, version of you're the exactly
2: uniform. right and it's funny with these shows you do even the star wars ones you maybe especially the star wars ones you get a sense of going through the old like ralph mccrory drawing drawings are in this case um fletcher bob fletcher <laughs> but it, it's interesting because one i am of because i am an ancient man um of the generation where the Monster Maroon was like that looks like an actual space uniform. <laughs> yeah. But now it's clearly in that same stylized world as these original series costumes cuz they're they're applying that texture mm-hmm. on on the on the sleeves. And it's funny cuz n- now Monster Maroon to me makes it, it just looks Like very Christmassy to me. It looks like a Space Santa kind of kind of outfit.
1: It's it's very red. It is it is it yeah. Did you? Especially when everybody's wearing that same
2: color. His first line as Future Pike, I thought we were gonna look we were gonna be seeing DeForest Kelly. He sounded so much like Bones to me when he says like
0: You'll figure out how to say it.
2: Trust me. But I, yeah, it's yeah. a great performance. I just was like, whoa, what are we, are we about to see? Bones? What's happening?
1: They did. Apparently, I, I was listening to the the Greatest Generation podcast. Uh-huh. They do their own stuff, and they were they got early screeners of these episodes. And one of them was actually talking about he felt like in one of the early screeners he got before the the release that actually ended up on Paramount Plus that they had done some CGI aging yes. that they later removed oh wow okay and so like a lot of so there may have been in the initial idea that he was going to look much older than he actually appears in the episode
2: it's very convincing
1: so that that makes sense assuming those uniforms show up about the same time that they show up normally he's been fighting that war for almost 20
2: years yeah Yeah. the the timeline thing i think is such a great solution to the prequel problem of like, we know everybody's going to be okay. And just the sight of Spock, you know, absolutely, you know, looking like, um,
1: like he belonged in saving private. Exactly. Or,
2: or, um, he (laughs) looks like avocado toast, you know, like he, he just is this mashed up green pulp. And it's like, this could happen anytime on the show. And I, I really think it's, it's, pretty brilliantly done
1: i was worried about it initially because i think i saw the stills of like are they actually going to do the romulans how are they going to do the romulans ahead of when we're before we're supposed to see the romulans and and i was like oh this is clever yeah i could i could i could buy this i like this little story yeah
2: absolutely um i did like i love the whole show and in retrospect i i even bits that I'm sort of like, nah, I don't know if I cared for that. As I've said, like, I, I now love it. But did you have a sense with that last episode of like, why wasn't it this the whole time? What is,
1: is like all of it in an alternate past or?
2: No, no, no. Just meaning the the way that last episode worked just felt like they've cracked it. This is exactly what it's supposed to be now. Like,
1: yeah, I'm I'm hoping that's kind of where they've now gotten yeah. to. Um. Because I honestly, I think the the weakest episode for me might still be the first one, and I like the first yeah. one um, because I think it's the one that is the most still coming out of like a certain tone that they're trying to adjust for, yeah. and over the course of the series of the the first season, they get to where you feel like this show belongs to be. Yeah, yeah. Um. So I, I'm really hoping that they they maintain that for season
2: two. How was it I know Um, which they've already shot, so (laughs) that's what I was gonna say. Was the whole season shot in one go, or did they have a chance to kind of go back and, and fix things? Like what what you're describing where you felt the first one didn't work so great, like, was that a learning curve or was that just the way this thing was developed as as one big binge?
1: I know I'm pretty sure they shot both seasons back to back. Okay. So they essentially were, it's like they did a 20 episode run yeah. of just this. Yeah. So I feel like thinking back to Star Trek of old, where you would do 26 <laughs> episodes in a year, yeah. like it takes some time to get to where you, you want to be with, with a lot of Star Trek shows. I think that's like one of the, the things that has hobbled some of the other shows, not just Star Trek, but just like you, Earl 20 years ago, you had a lot more runway to figure yourself yeah. out. Yep. Um, and now it's like, you know, stranger things is a season of strangers things is six episodes yeah. and it all comes out at once. Yeah. So it like costs a billion if, dollars. If there's, yeah. And so there's no, you can't tweak it. Like there's no, you're not getting any of the feedback. Yeah. You, you can't correct anything. Yeah. It's just, it's already been out. It's like a movie. It's just been put out there and that's, that's what yeah. it is. But I think I'm hoping at least that despite the fact that they didn't have to worry about nerd rage nerd stuff rage. happening and, you know, I mean, they, they've they obviously were reading it all, all of that happening for the other shows. Yeah. So I think part of that was in their minds when they were doing this. But I think being able to get into a groove of d- doing 20 episodes almost in a row. Yeah. And I'm, I'm hoping that only means that it's going to get stronger.
2: Yeah. When does season two uh, come out? Probably not till next year, I would imagine. It is really. I mean, I guess, I guess there's something to having a little bit of a pause as opposed to oversaturating things, but I
1: I mean, they are, they're still saturating because what it is, is there it's now they have enough. We went from having, there were five Star Trek shows at the end of 2005 and it took Twenty years to get those five shows. Yeah, another five yeah. shows have cropped up in the last
2: yep four, four minutes.
1: Years. Yeah. <laughs> yes. yeah, yeah, and they're on a rotation. Like now that Strange New Worlds is over, Lower Deck starts up in later August. Then it's probably going to be another season of Discovery after that, yeah. and then it's going to be se- the final season of Picard, and then we're back into Strange New Worlds again. So these are so it's it's there. Making sure that you keep that paramount plus subscription, yeah
2: that's true i had for some reason I felt the other ones had kind of hit hit the stops like i it's nice to know it's all ongoing yeah
1: i I am still very much a fan of lower decks oh i my God, i like yeah. the the tongue and cheek with which it approaches. I don't know if you've had, if you've caught any yeah i've- of I've, that I've seen
2: show. the first episode i'm I'm such a fan of tawny newsome and you know oh, like God, the, yeah. yeah and i i think that tone contributes i think they it, it's a tide that lifts all starships here because yeah having that around lets them do things like have the gerald freed fight song yes fairly seriously in episode five of strange new Worlds, <laughs> and it works it, great yeah. you know like like it's a it's a lighter universe that's exploring a bunch of things at once, and and it never becomes kind of self parody.
1: The music on this show is amazing. I have to actually give props to the composer. What's her name? Nami Melumad. Yeah, the the reverence with which she approaches the old themes, but still uses them, but then also fits in her music yeah. to f- to 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 work with it all. Like I, one of the first things I I told you was i love the theme of this show yeah
2: that was the first that was the first thing just listening to the theme by itself because you sent it was kind of my first exposure to this yeah. and i loved it i i love that there's a theremin in it which you feel mm-hmm. like it's gonna be in star trek but i don't i think this might be the first theremin we've heard even though it's such a sci-fi it's it's funny because it's in the day the earth stood still which you know of which pike is a big fan But I think in the original series, it was always uh, a a singer doing that, doing that melody.
1: Yeah, I'm trying. What's the, but uh, the, that, the, in the cage, the, that love scene. uh, Oh, shoot. Yeah, I think you're right. When they're like looking at the flowers.
2: Well, that's, I think that's a Farfisa organ. Oh. Which is, you know, uh, but you're right. There may be, it's so funny because I I was going to bring up the transporter sound too. Yeah. Because they, I was touched that they used the cage transporter sound, which makes beaming sound like it involves a lot of flywheels and that there are belts involved, none of which are working. Yes. Like it just sounds like super broken. Um, But yeah, the, the, the the now official original series transporter sound is in the cage, but it's in that weird vibrating musical plant. And I think that is a Farfisa organ, but They hold different leaves and different aspects of the sound stop and start. So I would not be surprised if there's also a theremin happening in there. I was equally touched that they don't use Shouty Spock from the cage. Oh my God. Ethan Peck never goes straight. Exactly. That's (laughs) the line. (laughs) That's the line. I wrote I
1: wrote a Star Trek spec script just to oh like my God. keep my, my writing juices flowing. And I was oh like, the God. first line of this script is going to be check the circuit because it just has to be.
0: Check the circuit. All operating, sir. Can't be the screen then. Definitely something out there, Captain. Head it this way.
1: No, I've just been I've been very pleased with this like technicolor modern portrayal of Star Trek.
2: Um, It's so beautiful, right? The Technicolor, you've hit it on the head there. Like, and, and it's the, it's reverence and it's intelligence, like in terms of the design, in terms of everything, but in terms of the design, like I, I went to, I, I like almost fell off my couch for joy when I saw that all the little table lamps are Arne Jakobsen. He's mm-hmm. he's an architect who designed a, a college that I went to. Yeah. And he designed that college including the lamps all the way down to the weird early 60s futuristic silverware. Mm-hmm. And I found out that our like dining room silverware was the stuff Stanley Kubrick picked out for the Discovery in 2001: A Space Odyssey. Um and I was so, like, I saw the table lamp, like, Dr. Mbenga's table lamp is an Arne Jacobsen one. Pike's yeah. fireplace is in the shape of two Arne Jakobsen lamps. Oh, yeah. And it got it got my hopes up. It was like, maybe, maybe they've got the silverware, too. And they do! It took till episode nine till we get a good look at Laan's fork.
1: Yep. And it's, the, the it waffles.
2: sure does look like the Jacobson thing. Yeah, you can eat orange <laughs> mush or waffle. Yeah, exactly. They're eating delicious things as opposed yes. to strained sweet potatoes or whatever that was. Yeah. Mm. But, um, but I like, again, the, it's also interesting because there's a wonderful book, uh, called Star Trek designing the final frontier, Mm. which I, I heard about, uh, through the wonderful podcast, ABCDTOS. Mm -hmm. Um, it's by Chavkin and McGuire, And both of them went through every episode of the original series, looking for all of the mid century, modern, props they bought you know just stuff that was yeah. available at the time and i think arn jacobsen is not he was never in the original series and huh. i always thought if i ever made a star trek thing it would just be like brutalist Jacobson. and finally finally every single light including the ones people are passionately you know yeah gazing into in that episode or arn Jacobson things so um anyway so now the now officially the enterprise and the discovery share uh the same cutlery the same dinette yeah exactly (laughs) exactly which Um, yeah i
1: i yeah i i like that blend of of being able to be like retro future like that kind of look Um, yeah so i I, yeah very very much a fan of of that and just bringing bringing like multicolored things back into yes you know because i don't know if you've seen any of the expanse but it's not exactly like we're still we're still recovering from the aesthetics of the Battlestar Galactica reboot, which I love, but it, it's designed to look like a war movie. Yeah, yeah. Um and I I, I very much if you're gonna do non-dystopic or dystopian uh sci-fi yeah.
2: tales, remove yourself from the war footage look. It's so that's all sort of gunmetal and drab. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's and and shot very much in line with like as if it's saving Private Ryan or it's like a documentary film crew type of thing. So lots of
2: bleach and like the shutter angle is really (laughs) uh, stuttery. Yeah. 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 I don't I don't it was so funny. I I remember in one of the episodes of Strange New Worlds. They mentioned supply chain problems. And I said to myself, this is supposed to be escapism. (laughs) And so, yeah, I can't. I wouldn't be able to take Expanse gunmetal and grab. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. I think that was the pirate episode.
2: Yeah, I think you're right. I think that's the one. I think that's exactly it. Serene Squall. Because they're navigating... Like these difficult issues, but you're right. You never. It's not depressing. I just can't. It's just such a magic trick that they. You. There's such a lift from all these episodes, even though they're they're talking about fairly serious things. Yeah,
1: I think it's very. It's the fact that they approach all of it with a,
2: for lack of better parlance, like a go-get'em attitude. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. It's it's it, yeah. You can't. You it would be Pollyanna-ish to do anything different. Yeah, Except for maybe like the one with the kid. Lift us where suffering cannot reach. Yes, um, um, I I wonder if they're trying to undo the the kind of colonial prime directive smashing thing where Kirk was always blowing up a computer <laughs> that ran a government, you know, just just over and over again um, in Taste of Armageddon. You're in an uh, error. Yeah, exactly the the Andrew Red Hour one. Yeah. Like, whereas this one. It's, it's like, I can't do it. This is heartbreaking. I can't do anything about it. I don't know why, why it, it's, it's funny. I'd never thought of Pike as slow on the uptake until you just mentioned it. <laughs> but now I realize how long it took him that he was basically in a Logan's run kind of situation yeah. in that episode. Like Chris, yeah. The kid's doomed. I don't know why you have to see the previous doomed kid in order to appreciate yeah. this.
1: Yeah. Come on. Soylent Green's people. Um.
2: <laughs> that was it. That's right. Yeah. Utopia is, is uh kid computers.
1: Yeah. Which, but, and there's, there, to me, there's still, I mean, I understand it's still supposed to be a Bible story, but like <laughs> there's, to me, there's some more holes in that one of like the, can't they move away from the planet? Like, is that, would all their problems be solved if they moved away from the planet?
2: Is yeah. Okay. Yeah. There are. Yeah. It really, it's hard not to box yourself in, I guess doing, yeah. Doing stories on this scale. And it, it
1: I, for me that always the suspension of disbelief is boils down to like, is it cool or is it not? Cool? <laughs> because I'll put up with it. If it's cool. Well, um, I guess it's
2: like the uniforms it's, it's stylized. It doesn't have to, it doesn't yeah. have to track, you know,
1: at least they have the, they have uh away team jackets
2: now, like Well, I wanted to talk to you about those away team jackets. <laughs> yeah. And in conjunction with one other interesting costume slash staging thing, mm. and that is when Una turns in her badge. And so between that and the leather jackets, I sometimes just got this sense of like they're cops. <laughs> and I sort of I, I I kind of already struggle with people in Starfleet being the Royal Navy like yeah. ratio hornblower. Yeah. Uh, because as I said, again, I like it when they're in the beige onesies uh, yeah. and saying like, don't offend them with our scans. <laughs> so I, I wondered what you, what you thought about that. Cause it's, it's, it's just a graphics thing. And I know there, there have been cool jackets in Star Trek, you know, from, from oh, the beginning. Forever, yes. So yeah, what, I wondered what your sense, especially of like, I'm handing in, the yeah, I guess they call it a Delta Shield, as if it's some kind of official yes thing.
1: Which they do that a lot in Star Trek over the course of time.
2: Like, have they, has anyone ever handed in a handed in oh, the yeah, thing? The, the-
1: oh yeah. Oh, there's 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 sequences where characters will take off their badges to show that they are off the record and like. Oh, cool. Um, okay. Okay. There's okay. A moment. There, there's a moment in Insurrection where when Picard decides to go off the reservation, he takes his pips off. Oh wow. He's like, okay. And like so, like th- that. I feel like that's in the visual language of Star Trek still.
2: Oh, good. Okay, so I, I I now feel so much better. I realize I it's just been a case of me being asleep at the helm somewhat.
1: <laughs> I also, but I I enjoyed one of the the things, the improvements I thought with Wrath of Khan with the visual language of like uniforms and stuff is that not everybody's wearing the same set of things because if you're mm. an engineer, you need to wear specialized
2: equipment. Yes, absolutely.
1: And I I liked having a little bit of that utilitarian stuff happening. where like, yeah, of course. Like if you go down to the cold planet, you're going to wear a jacket. Um, yeah. and you don't want yeah. to end up like poor Sulu on the, the, uh, <laughs> the water disease planet. Yes. Um,
2: the water disease. It's what, very, it's the, tourism well, is booming at the water <laughs> disease. Planet. Uh, the, it's, the, um, it's the
1: naked time planet. And I can't, yeah, remember yeah, yeah.
2: It, I get where, where he's got that extraordinary dog
1: yes but then he gets stuck with somebody down on the planet and it's there's a blizzard coming through
2: and they're tr- yes. or no am i am i no, no that, I think i'm sorry that's, I think that's that's it.
1: turnabout no that's uh enemy within i'm sorry enemy
2: within because the transporter is yes. broken they're on a planet they again speaking of it being very easy to box yourself in yeah um they had shuttlecraft at that point i don't know if they quite i don't know why they couldn't have just sent the yeah i don't even know the if there van was
1: yeah. But yeah, poor Sulu's had eaten up a rock with his phaser because he literally just brought that. down his velour sh- t-shirt and his his oh. capri pants.
2: <laughs> and it's so much, I mean, I, again, I have great affection for the um, shimmering yellow orange outline that they would have, for, you know, projected by a belt in the animated series yes. when they needed that velour uh, shirt to do double duty in a cold or airless climate. Yes, But But I I appreciate cool jackets. (laughs) Yeah, it's true. You've completely turned me around on that one. (laughs) Now uh, thinking in metaphors again and talking about the serene squall. Yes. Two things about that episode that I wondered what your thoughts were on. Hmm. Uh, I'm not sure I buy a Vulcan prison, even if it is. Oh, I forgot about this whole thing. I especially am not sure I buy it if it is a giant Zen rock garden, and that kind of makes me extra uncomfortable. So that's issue one. I wonder yeah. what your thoughts were about that because I could again I can be convinced about these things clearly.
1: So yeah, I think th- there are penal colonies in Star Trek later on, and at the least the Federation- one. Well, there's Tantalus, example. yes,
2: yeah. um, but like it's almost like a Club met, Jim. Well,
1: and that's in <laughs> in Voyager. I think we first meet helmsman tom paris on a penal colony in new zealand and it's it it seems to be just like an open garden yes yeah yeah Yeah, um and so i i it's the idea of rehabilitation as opposed to incarceration and punishment which i appreciate yeah sort of a
2: restorative Um, justice future uh, so not even it's like it's like forgiveness and rehabilitation and then re-injection into society which is a, a very beautiful vision
1: yeah so i so. i maybe the, like the the universal translator hiccups and calls it a prison yeah <laughs> so I, i'm yeah, allowed to yeah, right. i can i can you know think of it that way yeah but so yeah. for for me i'm like eh, because vulcans have a history of being weird with their with anybody who doesn't conform to their society so yeah yeah um i'm just assuming that that the 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 individual who, of whom we are speaking, who is incarcerated.
2: (laughs) Oh my God. I did. Yeah. We, we haven't even gotten to that yet. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Holy Um, cow.
1: I imagine he was maybe rabble rousing and they're like, Hey, we can't have that on this
2: planet. Um, it's weird to think of him as being still on Vulcan though. It seemed like his path was more, it's interesting because then that makes him more of a con man than, uh, Uh, an Eremite, you know, like wandering around the deserts of space.
1: So, and for anybody who hasn't watched the episode, Cybok appears. You made that up. I did not.
0: You did too. Cybok couldn't possibly be a brother because I happen to know for a fact you don't have a brother. Technically, you are correct. I do not have a brother. You see? See? I have a half-brother.
1: I gotta sit down.
2: Much to my surprise. Yeah. What
1: was that thought when, when... At the end of that episode is the stinger.
2: This is the thing. And this was the second question I was going to ask you about Serene Squall. Speaking of Gene Roddenberry's foundational texts, and again, I don't want to invest too much authority in them because it's not, you know.
1: Hashtag love instructor.
2: Exactly. That is the example that has come to mind every (laughs) single time you've brought up that beautiful novel, which I (laughs) nevertheless love. Yes. Um, Does the serene squall fail the test Gene Roddenberry puts into the beginning of the TOS writer's guide, which is when you come up with a plot, dear writer, make sure I'm not quoting him, but it's sort of the gist of it. Make sure it would be believable on a present day, which for him was early mid 60s U.S. aircraft carrier. Mm -hmm. And so thinking about so your question about if Cybok kind of hit me at the end of the episode um. The plot seems to be if I've if I've got it right, I want to get my husband out of jail and his brother serves on an aircraft carrier. So I'm going to enlist a pirate crew to take over the aircraft carrier so that his fiance who once walked through the prison can get my husband sprung from jail. Yes. But the thing is now so th- that was what I was kind of thinking about at the end of the episode but I I don't mean to say that critically of the episode because the world is currently strange enough where I could see opening up a newspaper and reading that a scenario like that has actually played out. Yeah. So uh, Cyborg didn't bug me. I was like, well, okay. I guess, <laughs> I guess also Cyborg. All right. I,
1: love, but- I love that we're re-embracing Star Trek V.
2: <laughs> yeah, well, I've uh, Star Trek V and I have been locked in an embrace ever since <laughs> 1989.
1: I couldn't help but notice your pain.
0: My pain. It runs deep. Share it with
2: me. But but yeah, what did you make of that? Do you think, did, first of all, have I actually got the story right? Or is this kind of like a fever yeah, n- dream?
1: I, well, cause so it, it's the, the other part is that the, the pirate
2: captain. Oh, uh, Angel. And captain Angel. Dr. Aspen slash Captain Angel. Yes. Yeah. So,
1: so the other added element to that is, is Captain Angel, who is already a pirate captain, has an established pirate thing going on. Uh-huh is has assumed the identity of a credentialed professional that would yes. be on the ship. So like I can buy, cause if somebody was like Russian agent masquerades as, you know, yeah. as, yep. as ship psychiatrist on, yeah. you know, Carl Vinson and waters them into
2: Somali pirate territory. And that's the one missing piece that they are already aboard the enterprise and yes, can can infiltrate it as as you're saying in a kind of cloak and dagger way.
1: Yes, the false pretext. And honestly, up until the turn, I didn't see it
2: coming. I yeah, I, I mean that you got to give it that. Like it's that it is a. It I is bought really... into the
1: the, the Doctor Aspen character, and I was like, oh, this is the this is a character who's going to test Spock's stuff and is his yeah. brain and where he's sitting, yeah. and yeah. then you have the sequence in engineering and it's like, oh no, they have a pistol trained on everybody now.
2: Yeah. 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 You're right. It does. Yes. And with that extra piece added in, I could, I could imagine reading this in a newspaper about, about precisely that carrier. So now I got to watch it again and see if Cypock <laughs> takes me out of it. at the yeah. end. I don't know. I, that's the thing. Like I usually, it, it doesn't, it, it seems like to watch these things, Star Trek or Star Wars, just because, you see familiar stuff again is yeah. kind of the wrong emphasis, but I really just, I had so much genuine delight in the Balanchine wraparound tunic yes. or, or, um, hearing Scotty, uh, just off camera Oh my God. or, um, it, you know, in this case,
1: was it the hand that's supposed to be missing a finger though? <laughs> oh my God. We got to go back and look at it because again, <laughs> they
2: have, they have done all this so lovingly that I bet they replicated jimmy doohan's you know hand because i didn't even think I, I wasn't i think i was so excited about it that i wasn't looking closely enough i'm not even sure i realized it was his hand
1: not even but uh, on top of that that jeffrey's tube which shows up yeah, in several Jeffre- epi- oh my episodes like it's oh my perfect
2: God. i'm such a doof because i just <laughs> i totally went for all this stuff
1: yes i think the star wars minute podcast talks about it when they talk about references where it's like of it's going to work for you and 20% of it isn't. And which 80% and which 20% is depends
2: on the person. I can't think of anything that made me mad though. Can you, was there anything that, that struck you as like, Oh, come on. The only take me for
1: the only thing was like the having to make the big bad characters, Mm -hmm. the Gorn. I was like, man, we didn't have to do
2: that. Yeah. Um, I guess that has its own issues too, though.
1: Yeah. And, and, But ultimately, yeah, I, I, the only concern I generally have is that when you make all these references, it makes the world feel smaller. Yeah. But we already have Cyborg and like we already,
2: (laughs) And that story connects them already. Like, yes, of course, it would be Cyborg because Dr. Aspen slash Angel is after Spock. So that fact would bring those elements of the world together as opposed to it being a random
1: and yeah. that all makes sense.
2: Yeah. yeah. Um,
1: so, like, th- all of those little moments to me are—I'm—they uh, don't bother me because, again, the captain's wraparound is just a
2: duty. <laughs> I was actually—I take it back. There is one thing that made me mad, and that is that it has both insignia on it. Oh,
1: you're right. Yeah. yeah it yeah. doesn't
2: just have the, the, waist, on the waist one. Waist. Yes. The which I always thought was really cool. But I wonder if—if if it didn't have that, and you just see him, because I think you see him first in a close-up, you'd be like, "Why is he wearing that nice?" Leather sweater.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's the other thing is that I feel like for the captain's wraparound, I don't know if that's the material that you choose. Like, I feel like it still should be (laughs) a little bit more breathable. Like, yeah, that's kind of the whole point of the of that particular uniform.
2: It's it's the same problem that movies based on comic books, I think, encountered in their costume design. Oh, yeah. You need to give. It can't just be spandex because that gets wrinkly and weird and seems thin and yeah. and you want it to feel like higher resolution than that. So the solution has been initially and we see it here to texturize and put a million, you know, micro uh, Delta shields on people. So, yeah, but and, and which seems weird until I I I wonder if it's kind of like building security uh, devices into money. Yeah,
1: cash. yeah, yeah, that's what I was. The, yeah. Like,
2: like it's it's a micro pattern that you could check to see if this is the real deal. I mean, yeah. I don't know. But, but then, like, phase two of that solution has been that in comic book movies and now here, you build these suits and they start to look like the upholstery of very <laughs> expensive cars. Yeah. <laughs> Especially the spacesuits, where actually the spacesuits in this, I think, are lovely because they remind me of the it's wonderful very striking ones from the original series but they also look a little they partake slightly of the design of fancy Scandinavian vacuum cleaners
1: <laughs> yeah and maybe it's just me being of my age and what i grew up used to but i felt like the good the medium was the either the 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 monster maroon setup or the the mandarin collar tng uniforms
2: yeah oh it's so fantastic yeah it's the the monster maroon i loved especially because it it felt really real at the time and it was trying to make this thing recall actual like naval uniforms which is a little fraught i guess yeah for me but but i loved also that you could do stuff with it the flap could come down Mm -hmm. i love that they use that for a blood stain in star trek 2 um, but yeah, now for some reason now it just, it really does feel kind of Santa Clausy. It's um, the
1: red. If it were in any yeah. other muted color, I feel like it would be okay. Because what they, they did the weird thing of like division colors became yes. the collar, which are very, I think essentially almost whatever the division colors were in the motion picture. So yes, they, it's the they, same ones. Yeah. So they chose the beige earth tones yep. for division colors and everybody got, red for the yeah, primary yeah
2: and those were i think it's a gabardine fabric that was repurposed from motion picture costumes okay. and according to interviews with robert fletcher that stuff or that particular you know you know uh instance of that gabardine yeah. could only take three colors <laughs> and one of the i think the most stri- like the most saturated of the options was maroon. Mm. So I think in reaction to people thinking the motion picture costumes were too beigey, I I never quite understood the objection to the beiginess of the costumes in motion picture. Because if you look at that palette next to the Star Wars costume palette, they're almost identical. In fact, sometimes too close there's a guy on the bridge at some point in star trek the motion picture who's basically wearing luke's outfit I'm, from I'm, it, star wars
1: sulu's i think his uniform in the first scene it's just it's kind of like yeah. a bathrobe thing on the top with That's a black right. t-shirt
2: it's it's like half a gi and yeah. then you know like the had and 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 the pants and yeah so but i think i think for some reason, and and again, that that movie was trying was a huge reaction against the original series, because it's the first time a movie's ever been made from a TV show. So they're worried it's going to be received as chintzy. Yeah, and TOS was designed to sell color TVs in the sixties. Yeah, so it's they've found it super garish. You know, so I think it's these hard runners all the way back. Where, to yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. totally. we went
1: we went from the the last. The end of the TNG era was black with gray top and just a small yes. little sliver of color. And like the the early Discovery uniforms were all monochrome with like a metallic division color delineation. We've just been slowly adding the Technicolor back into.
2: But yeah, it was it was interesting to see the monster maroon come back with the Pirelli tires thing on the it, it was on nice. the shoulders and arms.
1: It, that and like that's the kind of little reference things that if you're not steeped in it like we are you may not notice you're like oh, okay that's the uniforms but then you're you're you know uh what's his face Leonardo DiCaprio with a beer pointing at the TV
2: <laughs> that was me a lot of the time yeah. <laughs> over those 10 hours i wonder if the hiring managers for star trek strange new worlds were doing little easter egg references because i noticed that one of the emmy nominated sound editors is named matt decker oh dear god uh which for the listener if they are not as uh dorky as I am is the name of the demoted enterprise captain Will Decker's dad uh who Ahab like chases the doomsday machine in the eponymous original series episode yep. Commodore Matt Decker. So, and I got I can see why they're Emmy nominated the sound design is magnificent in the show on top yeah. of everything else and I noticed that the in in the in your submarine, actually, no, sorry, it's in one of the two submarine combat episodes. You get yeah. the final one. That scary plasma weapon that the Romulans use, yeah, right before it hits anything, it makes a jaguar scream. Also, in that combat scene when they when they drive through uh, the comet, I love that it turns both. The Bridges of the Enterprise and the Farragut into Studio 54. Yes. It's like I I heard the little disco drums in my head.
1: And it's all like not parroting, but but homage to the way that they did some of the lighting in Balance of Terror.
2: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Which, again, I just I love that lighting. And it's it's been a quest of mine for some projects to find ways to pay homage to things. But make them fresh. Yeah. And this show does that so brilliantly, especially in that episode, but throughout.
1: Yeah. Between the sound and the lighting and everything, but also just the music again of recalling the little light motifs of the original series. Just, just the little stings and it's all that you need. And it's, it's, it sets the right tone and it's not too much. And it, I, I, once this soundtrack becomes available, I'm going to buy it. (laughs) Um,
2: And the, the, the freshness of it, too, because I love, like, again, the opening theme with its theremin, I love its, I guess, minor key kind of uh, re- reimagining of the theme. But also, it sounds to me like a halftime show. <laughs> Did you notice that, too? Like, it sounds like the, the University of Michigan Star Trek marching band <laughs> is, you know, like, I, yeah. I, I love the drums and oh, I love yeah. the, you know, like like, yeah, it's... It's so, so cool.
1: It's that referential thing of evoking the optimism or the, the feel that none of us who were alive to experience it, but like the way that we imagined the mid sixties was.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, without going too much into Austin powers territory.
2: <laughs> well, it's true. Right. Cause the, I, I dimly remember hearing or reading Alexander courage talking about the inspiration, especially for those very large intervals in Mm. the theme where the, the melody soars like all the way up the octave. And, and I think by, by change the, the changes in this version, I'll have to listen to it, but maybe compress those leaps a little bit. Yeah. So you have a, you have the, the mid sixties, as a kind of, it's a time of crisis, but it's also this time of project Apollo and, and a feeling of possibility and now, and so it's a bit more soaring. And now we're, as we've been discussing, this is a show that's trying to give a little <laughs> bit of hope in a time where people aren't really thinking, Yeah, at least I'm not thinking we're going to get anywhere near a star Trek future. And so there's more of a sense of crisis and yeah. those intervals are squashed a little bit. Um, but it's still very stirring, and, yes. and ends with with hope. We got so. the James
1: Webb Space Telescope going.
2: It took a I mean, little yeah. while, but
1: you know, we got there. There's
2: my uh, i i i was exiting the freeway the other day, and I saw a picture of I think the Ring Nebula. Yeah, and it looked, but it looked like an iPhone ad. <laughs> and I was like, "What? That can't!" And then it was it was a parody ad. By an aerospace company, I can't remember which one. Mm-hmm. It was like shot on James Webb. And it was I almost crashed the car. I was like, <laughs> "That's that's the coolest, the coolest thing in the world." So yeah, we do have the James Webb Telescope. But, yeah. Uh, sometimes I envy it that it's Lagrange. <laughs> yes. And not and not here in in the muck. Sometimes, but.
0: I think the universe is telling me that some fates are inescapable. And even if I could get out of mine. It might just fall to someone else.
2: Dr. Mbenga. Mm. I was so excited that it was him. Mm -hmm. In the original series, that character made sickbay feel so much more real to have several doctors and specialists, especially when when McCoy would defer to him. (laughs) Yeah. And I loved I loved his character in the original series because he was kind of like the nerdy doctor. Yeah. And I, I... in the new version, Bab's Alusun Mokun is so good. I'm glad that they downplay the idea of him being a specialist in Vulcans. Yeah because that's the thing about the original series version that made me feel like we never got a Vulcan doctor who specialized in humans. Yeah. And it's weird to me to think that you would go to galactic med school to learn, like we just learn humans. And then some specialists do the like exotic ones. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Especially considering that in Star Trek, we're all seeded from the progenitors anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, I wondered what your feelings were about Mbenga and also like it's given the, the, his daughter being <laughs> in the transporter bubble in the pool filter, yeah, exactly. Seems real risky compared to like a space seed style, yeah, suspended animation thing. Especially if they have like a power failure. He is bringing her out into space with him, where who knows what's gonna, you know, yeah, uh, hit the ship. Not um, the least
1: of which was the the light virus.
2: Oh, my God. Oh, my God. But yeah, what are what are your thoughts on character character and characterization this time around?
1: You know, I'm glad they brought him in and I'm glad that he's very
2: much a like he's he's the inquisitive doctor. That's what. Yeah, it's that nerd thing from from the original series, even though Spock at one point yells at him in the original series for guessing about something. But I think that's on Spock because, you know. Yeah. But yeah, tell tell me more about that. The in- inquisitive nerdy Dr. Mbenga.
1: Yeah, I like the f- he's the inquisitive he's the one he's doing research actively. You're seeing him act like try to figure things out. But like he's he's it's that it's that also the the crew of this enterprise at this time. There's a, a softened edge to everything in a good way of just like yeah he he feels he has the right bedside manner. Like he's the doctor that you want to be treated by much the same way that Pike is the captain that you want to lead to, to follow. Hmm. So him being like compassionate, but not in a way that, you know, McCoy might just bark at you. Like, you know that his <laughs> heart's in the right place, but I don't know if I'd necessarily want him to be my doctor. Yeah. Um, yeah.
2: That was my sense. My sense was like, I do love Dr. McCoy but i would want to ship out with dr yeah. mbenga yeah. as long as we had resolved the thing that's distracting him <laughs> yes uh, so that he could be fully present but he is doing a heroic job of being you know doing his job and also tending to the crisis yes. in his family but that was exactly my sense yes like, he's the one i want i want chapel and mbenga on my medical team
1: yes and that's the, is like it's it feels like it's assembling the, the the people that you actually want to be running the ship
2: yes yeah and
1: so i i I appreciate that and i think i the the daughter arc i like the fact that there was obviously something that he was trying to deal with i was surprised that they resolved it in this season um i didn't mind the way that they did but i could have done without the the bit at the end where she comes back and is an adult and is like no you totally made the right decision to just sort of leave it was
2: very quick yeah
1: like i i wanted it to to be like this is the best chance that I have for my daughter to have any kind of a life. So I'm going to yeah. let her go and I'm going to have to trust that things will be okay down the road and leave that tension out there. Yeah. But the writers seem to be very like determined to just sort of close that.
2: Yeah. And I, I wonder if, if it had to do with something that was bugging me, which is that it's, it's very good and generous and loving of him to let her make the decision but she is so young that you wonder like can she make the decision so I think the the solution to that might have been like bring her back when she's 35 and she says bravo dad yeah, you did a great job and I'm now a Zephyrm Cochran in a Zephyrm like relationship with a cloud
1: (laughs) yes which I like I said
2: not not, not the same kind of relationship but a a relationship yeah Yeah. yeah. a a very platonic cloud relationship (laughs) and
1: what's going on here seems pretty pervy
2: doesn't it? Oh my God. All right. Now please let me know if when the following thought occurred to me, it was an uncharitable one. And that is, is the idea of Lon Nunian Singh a little like, this is my chief security officer, Julia Caesar. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I thought you looked familiar. And, and part of the reason this maybe bugged me at the time, although again, maybe I'm being uncharitable is later. They mention I think over the PA a Lieutenant Taft. And I'm like, is he also related to a historical world leader?
1: Yeah. I, that, that, that is speaking of things of like, they didn't have to, that's the 20% that bothers me. Yeah. I, she doesn't have to have, that that was my thought attached to that her. was my thought because it's yeah. it's yeah either julius caesar or you know like oh yeah this is joanna hitler she's Exa- your, yeah. yeah
2: exactly <laughs> exactly nicole chaucescu yeah <laughs> so yeah, like I,
1: I i understand the angle of making her more prejudiced toward learning that una is an augment of some sort yeah but you could just make her family someone who suffered at the hands of genetically engineered people. And she yeah. doesn't have to, cause that, cause then that makes her family very tortured in many respects. Yeah. She <laughs> like has in too a lot many of, ways.
2: That's right. She's got the Gorn and con and we'll probably find out, um, the, uh, squire of Gothos messed with her. Yeah. At like, one point. Yeah, it's true. It's right true. now.
1: She just has a, or like her family has a very bad run of like parasitic organisms, <laughs> <laughs> like it's true. They're two for two right now. And I don't know yeah. if we're going to go for three.
2: Yeah. I still think I'm, I'm, I'm sure being uncharitable about it or was at the time. Cause I love the character. I love yeah. Christina Chong's performance. Um, and they are finding their footing. Their space the fact legs. that
1: it bothered me when I heard about it and I haven't really thought about it since is a good sign.
2: Now, captain Battelle. Yeah. I, Captain Winona Earp. Oh my God, is that? Oh my God. Yeah, yeah. it's Winona Earp. I forgot it. That's crazy. Yeah. I hadn't, I hadn't, she's very good. I hadn't made the connection at all. Melanie, um, is it, was, uh, what's his name Melanie Scrofano. Yes. Very Italian name. Yes. I, <laughs> we're distantly or less distantly related. I don't know. Yes, yeah, so the pays But, um, it feels like, uh, it undoes a lot of weird, slightly dodgy, uh, affiliations we've seen between captains and like their enlisted assistants. Yes. And I love, you know, good morning, captain. Good morning, captain. Yes. Um, and I also love that her name is almost Bechtel.
1: Oh yeah.
2: Which I wonder if that was deliberate. I yeah. kind of hope it was, but, um, but yeah, what, so, so you feel the same way. It's, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, it's terrible then that she's the one who swoops in at the end and says, I'm just following orders and I'm going to arrest, uh, But I think,
1: but that gives a good, because now like we've gotten Pike over his, like he's, he's kind of like, okay, I'm, I know what fate I have awaiting me and we can put that to bed for now. Now his next thing can be like, well, this relationship got really screwed up. How are we going (laughs) to, how are we going to pick up the pieces on this? Because what I want is for episode one to just be like measure of a man, except it's her squaring off against him in the courtroom. Yeah. Yeah. And
2: that's great in a
1: court martial. And like they have to go then because then they have to go from that to maybe the tension of do they repair that relationship?
2: I never thought about the measure of a man is a great template for it. And it's it is funny to think of like, if you prick us, do we not not bleed? But you I mean, you Um, have the
1: same setup where like Picard knows the judge advocate. Yeah. And they have a history because she was she presided over the court-martial of the Stargazer loss.
2: Which is like court-martial in the original series where yes. Kirk knows the, I guess, attorney on the other side from him. Eject you know. pod. Uh, um, yeah. Oh, my God. Um, now, speaking... Oh, sorry, go ahead.
1: Well, yeah, no, and I I love... And that actually, weirdly enough, Enterprise also did a version of this where they had... It's Scott Bakula's character, Captain Archer, and uh, Captain Hernandez of the Columbia, which was the other sistership of them actually having of of having equals in a relationship like this where there you don't have to worry about taking advantage of a weird power dynamic, which was Yeah.
2: Yes. That a big issue yes. in yeah TOS. Yes. I think at one point McCoy even just says, right, goth, it's privileges. Yeah, it's it's bad. Very. There's also
1: a couple of episodes where it's like, oh yeah, Scotty can't be around women because he hates them right now. Oh
2: my God. The wolf in the fold. It's so weird. (laughs) It's so weird. And then they leave him, I think, not only with a woman, but with like a a knife. Yeah. At one point in that episode. Yeah. It's very weird. That's one thing Star Trek really struggled with a lot from the beginning and through the eighties and
1: yeah Yeah, i mean and and i mean we we like
2: to attribute it mostly
1: to just gene roddenberry's rewrites but i it i'm sure it was also in the
2: air oh my god they really really struggled with that yeah um Um,
1: but yes i i like that relationship i'm curious to see what they do with it like i said i'm waiting for my courtroom drama episode
2: yeah yeah it's really cool that like it is, it's designed to be consumed over time, but also binged. And so it has, it, it has, uh, it, it's almost like a good set in a concert. Yeah. The mood is, you know, it never gets ponderous. Yeah. It with eases one thing up or another. It, yeah. And the structure changes too. I've, I noticed that some episodes, the teaser is like 20 minutes long, basically. <laughs> like you don't get the credits till like a third of the way in. Yeah. And is that a thing structurally that's happening in other series? Yeah.
1: There there are ones That's where they so play around cool. with the teaser act. Um, That's... I, I there are shows where like some episodes it's it's thirty seconds and then we go into the credits, or sometimes it is like you're twenty minutes in and suddenly now we're having the credit sequence. It's
2: very refreshing. I like that I like that looseness with it a lot. Yeah. Now, Spock slugging Barjan as to pring. Yes, I, it made me think that's the whole like Spock not hitting someone is the whole reason we have the neck pinch. Yeah. Leonard Nimoy reads the script for Enemy Within. He's like, he would, you know, Spock wouldn't clonk someone over the head. So let's do something a little more elegant. Um, I don't know. What did, what did you think, think about that? That whole that whole scene? Sorry. Yeah, go ahead.
1: Well, no, I, I think I, I chalk all that up to we're still dealing with a younger, less disciplined, more human Spock. And yeah. that's the it's, side that comes out when there is an outburst.
2: Yes. Occasionally Berserker yelling. He's, yes. He's young enough for that. And it does, it makes sense. It, it sounds like the kind of guy who would go for Colin R. at some point. Yeah. Just out of fear that his emotions are not containable.
1: Yeah. And, but I, I, and I do love that episode of the two, the actors switching roles. And- <laughs> we may have
2: to seek some help with this.
0: There is one more chant I'd like to try. We might need a gong.
2: Now Pike has a panic attack uh, in the presence of his adoring fan, yes, young Maat, yes. And I, I could picture Maat walking through his own slow motion, blurry hallway full of echoes <laughs> right after that. And it, it landed especially hard for me because I once scared Buzz Aldrin pretty bad into Barnes and Noble, and it messed me up a little. Oh bit. God. Yeah, I was like, I'm scarier than going to the moon in a skyscraper full of kerosene. (laughs) Oh, no. It's it's another perfect tonal thing for doing that magic trick we've been talking about, which is making optimistic sci-fi in a time when not all that many people are optimistic and actually having a character confront doom, known doom is such a great way to do it. And, And again, they're not it's not. Ponderous. There is a sense of of either making the most of the time he's got, or yeah. finding some way out of that crisis, and especially that it's by fire. Yeah, feels like the thing that a lot of people are worrying about right now. That's making you know me. Yeah, feel really doomy about stuff. Yeah, it's really great.
1: Yeah, and it's it's and you get it's the thing that doesn't happen very much anymore just by virtue of the fact that it's not of it, it, it's probably considered a very passe uh screenwriting technique which is the speech <laughs> uh, well, and, and from... but letting letting Anson Mount give the Pike speeches every yeah. couple episodes especially the, the the one in the first episode with um the one like as like as I even say like that first episode for me it was the weakest but at the end the speech that he gave about like that life should be worn gloriously because yeah. up up until your last moment, your future is what you make it like. That's that's star Trek. You can play around with the set dressings and the costumes and all that sort of stuff, but there needs to be that core theme of a, of it of adversity will always exist, but how we approach it should be, we should approach it with optimism or a, a, a problem solver mentality.
2: It's funny that now I think you know that scene where Kirk sounds to me a little maybe like Roy Cohn. Yeah, is like a less it, not the violence part of it, but it occurs to me that Chris Pike has something to learn at least from our timelines, Jim Kirk. Yeah, and it's very stark in that scene because they make reference to risk. He says, "I'm not, you know, I'm more risk averse than you are," and yeah. I realize that's the that's the quintessential. Kirk speech yeah the risk is our business you know from from another mediocre aborder. episode where it's like oh that
1: speech <laughs> is great but the rest of it's
2: kind of weird I'm I feel again like a subaltern Star Trek fan but I'm now blanking oh oh, it's the one with the orbs return is it returned to tomorrow? yeah yeah I think that's the name of it it's the it's uh, yeah it's the your it's, captain has a wonderful body episode huh yeah that one yeah 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 <laughs> and that's the oh, speech that
1: leads to that moment
0: they used to say that if it- Man were meant to fly, he'd have wings. But he did fly. He discovered he had to. I don't believe we can stop. In fact, through all our existence, the frightened and faint hearted have been warning men not to push any further, not to learn anymore, not to hope, grow, and exceed themselves. I'm in command. I could order this. But I'm not. Because. Dr. McCoy is right in pointing out the enormous danger potential in any contact with life and intelligence as fantastically advanced as this. But I must point out that the possibilities, the potential for knowledge and advancement is equally great. Risk Risk is our business. That's what the starship is all about.
2: That's why we're aboard her. But that's, that's what I'm saying. Like the, you know, it's the medium is the message kind of situation that like what I, one of the things I love about it, in addition to hope in imperfect times is that imperfect people get to this better future. Yeah. And the very substance of the show or the movie is often failing in a lot of ways. Yeah and the thing itself is made out of cardboard and and has the occasional clunker of a line and like let that let that work against your tng era anxiety about qualifying for things and and you and your own writing which you've which you've brought up like and your own work like like we're we're striving for things it's not going to be it's not going to be perfect but we'll get there Memories would like to
1: keep. Well, I had some fun back in the day.
0: Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the show, remember to like and subscribe. Follow us on Instagram at NoFlicksGivenPodcast. See you next time.
2: Don't let Gene near any of this stuff anymore.